From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Bigham, with you on this Monday, November the sixth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. Now, on today's program, the annual China International Import Expo is underway with thousands of exhibitors in Shanghai. The Israeli military has encircled Gaza City and divided the Gaza Strip between north and south. And climate officials from China and the U.S. have met in California ahead of the upcoming COP28 summit. In business, a decline in economic openness around the world. In sports, an upset at the WTT champions,、uh, champions in Frankfurt. In culture and entertainment,、uh, Beijing Dance Academy's new performance season. Now checking the day's top stories. The Sixth China International Import Expo is in full swing. The six-day events attracted over 3,400 exhibitors from over 150 countries, regions, and international organizations. In his letter to the event, Chinese President Xi Jinping said China is committed to promoting high-level opening up and building an open world economy, noting that the world economic recovery lacks momentum and requires the solidarity and cooperation of all countries. President Xi said that China will. Always be an important opportunity for global development. At the opening ceremony, Premier Li Chang affirmed China's commitment to opening up its market and sharing its opportunities with the world. The premier said China's imports of goods and services are expected to reach 17 trillion U.S. dollars in total over the next five years. First held in 2018, the CIIE is the world's first national-level exposition dedicated to imports. The previous five editions saw over 130 countries and international. Organizations participating in country exhibitions with nearly 2,000 new products, technologies, and services making their debuts. The event had a combined turnover reaching nearly 350 billion U.S. dollars. Companies have signed a number of trade deals on the first day of the recent expo. The Zhejiang Province trade delegation signed projects with companies from、uh, the U.S., France, Switzerland, and Thailand, worth over 2.6 billion yuan, or roughly 362 million U.S. dollars. The Shanghai trade delegation made a deal worth over 300 million U.S. dollars. This year's CIIE also features the latest products and innovations from companies all over the world, including the highly anticipated air taxi developed by a Chinese company, which has just completed a trial flight in Shanghai. Wu Bin shares some of the highlights at the venue. 
The 6CIIE has attracted some 3,400 exhibitors from around the world and over 390,000 registered audience will participate in the coming days. And uh, more global CEOs and government officials are coming this year because of there's no uh, COVID restriction anymore. And the highest profile is, of course, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's visit to uh, China and uh, he also participated the uh, opening ceremony of the uh, China International Import Expo. During the opening ceremony, he was the first foreign speaker uh, to address the ceremony and in his speech. He said that the government that led by him will continue to work constructively with China and he hoped that the businesses representing Australia on the CIIE will build stronger ties uh, between the two nations. The Prime Minister has visited the food and agricultural products section and he talked to some Australian exhibitors here and I also talked to those exhibitors after the Prime Minister uh, leaving the hall and let's take a listen of their expectations of the 6th CII. Uh, he, he, he actually held this same lobster so he, he did pick it up and he did talk about the, the western rock lobster um, so yes it was very uh, entertaining. So as with any trade exhibition, um, we're really looking forward to um, having all of our exhibitors on the WA stand to have some wonderful connections with buyers that come to visit um, at CIE 2023 and we look forward to hearing about any connections that they make um, and any outcomes that happen in the future. And apart from exhibitors and business opportunities during the CIIE, the World Openness Report is also attracting a lot of attention each year. And on Sunday afternoon, uh, the World Openness Report 2023 is released during the uh, Hongqiao International Economic Forum. And the report says that in 2022, the World Openness uh, Index is 0.7542 and down 0.4% year on year. And given that context, uh, the China International Import Expo, Expo the platform is uh, even more important since it's uh, you feel the vitality, you feel the enthusiasm here and it's gonna uh, boost a greater confidence to the global economic recovery. That was Ubin reporting. This year's CIIE features a large delegation of U.S. agricultural companies. Acting Deputy Undersecretary Jason Hafemeister for Farm and Foreign Agricultural Services says he feels the expo is an important platform for boosting agricultural ties between his country and China. Oh, it's very important. We think there's a lot of growth potential here in China. There are many consumers who will benefit from U.S. products. And so we're very excited about the possibility. That was Jason Hafemeister from the U.S. Farm and Foreign Agricultural Services. Over 200 companies attending this year's China International Import Expo are returning exhibitors that have participated each year since the first edition back in 2018. Among them are not only big names, the Global 500, but also small businesses from underdeveloped regions. Do Hongyu spoke with some exhibitors from the least developed regions to find out what makes them regular participants of the CIIE. Exhibitors are doing their best to boost their visibility at the CIIE, one of the biggest trade expos in China. While larger companies focus on attracting visitors to buy their latest products, Bangladeshi company Dada Bangla wants more people to know their products. They're selling handicrafts made from jute, a fiber largely produced by Bangladesh. CEO Dahera Dama says once they attended the first CIE, Chinese customers have become more familiar with jute handicrafts. Before I started my business, uh, when I come to China and visit some exhibition center like handicrafts and most of the Chinese people really don't know what kind of fiber is jute goods. Is it uh, eco-friendly products or not? Chinese people really don't know. And when I started uh, my business exhibition by CIIE exhibition platform, then people really know now what is jute goods and it's good for health and environment. They really know now. The CIIE provides free booths and subsidies to companies from the least developed countries, making it easier for them to participate in the expo. Dalma says her business is growing bigger as their products are recognized by more Chinese customers, benefiting more than 2,000 women in rural Bangladesh. 
they get a new job and they can uh, make money and they can spend money on their children's education and um, uh, good dresses and good food and their lifestyle uh, are better than before. Zambian company Mupondo Wild Honey also sees the CRIE as a crucial platform to connect with Chinese buyers. They have not only received orders that have boosted the income of 300 Zambian beekeepers beyond the national average, but have also started online businesses by partnering with e-commerce operators they met at the expo. Manager Zhang Tongyang says this has upgraded the Zambian honey industry. Zambia used to export raw honey without any branding. But now we have set up our own honey factory and created an African brand. We have successfully entered the Chinese and European markets. This has inspired other Zambian companies to sell honey products with their logos and promote their own brands globally. The six-time participant has brought new friends to this year's expo. Besides Zambian honey, they are also displaying soap from Mali, facial cream from Ghana, and tea from South Africa. The company has assisted partners from these countries in meeting Chinese market standards, enabling exports to China. Without convenient trade and logistics, the increased exposure at the expo would not have led to industry upgrades and long-term partnerships. Zhang says the strengthened connectivity between Africa and China has made the benefits of the CRIE more tangible. After the Build and Road Initiative was proposed, logistics companies like China Costco Shipping Corporation and SF Express build distribution centers in inland African countries. Now you can receive your African products within seven days after ordering them on cross-border commerce platform. Over 1,400 companies from BRI partner countries are participating at this year's CRIE. Many of their exhibits, including Zambian honey, were transported to the Shanghai venue through railways, ports and airports built under the BRI. Exhibitors from underdeveloped areas hope that their businesses boosted through the CRIE will eventually help Chinese customers become more familiar with their countries and cultures. For the Beijing Hour, this is Do Hongyu in Shanghai. The ongoing China International Import Expo has provided a platform for a large number of foreign companies to showcase their products to the vast Chinese market. One of them is Good Farmer, a fruit trading company from the Philippines. The company has uh, taken part in six consecutive expos and reaped big profits in the Chinese market now. For more, Zheng Tao spoke with Selena Xu, China Marketing and Communication Director for the Good Farmer Fresh Fruit Trading Corporation. It has been six consecutive years for Good Farmer to participate in the CIE. What impact has the trade event brought to your company? Good Farmer regards the CIE as a very important exhibition platform. Not only have we showcased the largest uh, imported foods, but we have also increased our visibility and strengthened the relationships with the government, customers, and global suppliers. We learned that um, Chinese consumers also hold many interests or attractions for the Good Farmer name and product. Uh, also, in recent years, Good Farmer has maintained rapid growth in China, achieving a historic high last year. For instance, our Black Diamond Pineapple from the Philippines received a huge exposure at last year's CIIE. So I bet the sales of this pineapple reached the 500,000 to 700,000 units a month on average at Fresh for Alibaba. It's an incredible outcome we gained from the CIIE, I think I can say that. Actually, it's been a quite a long time, right? Six years. And based on your observation, how has the Import Expo changed over the years? This year, we really see that the number of uh, exhibitors has become larger and the product has become more abundant. CIE really made efforts to initiate kinds of activities by utilizing the mass media, national media, or social media during the past five years. Many internationally famous companies have held a new product launch at a the activities were uh, live-streamed through the special program New Products at CIA of CCTV. 
And I heard that since the second CIA, more than 250 live-launch events have been held, displaying nearly uh, 700 new products, new technologies, and new services with nearly 80 million online views. Mm. You mentioned a lot of activities that's being held at the Import Expo, such as the product launch and live streaming. And yes. besides, do you have any expectations from this year's event? So uh, this year, GoFarma will showcase our Ecuadorian yellow pitaya, which is the first time that Chinese customers have approved this variety to be able to enter China. But sorry for it, I will not say much more about this new product today. I would like to invite more people to visit our booth to try this great product instead. That was Selena Shu, a senior executive with Good Farmer. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese stressed dialogue and cooperation with China as the two countries mark the 50th anniversary of the establishment of Australia's first embassy in China. It's also 50 years since the signing of their first trade agreement and the first visit by then-Australian Prime Minister Gough Whitlam. Albanese arrived in Shanghai on Saturday for a four-day visit, his first as Prime Minister. He vowed to constructively work with China and said that China-Australia relations are mature with a complementary nature. The framework of trade rules provides certainty and opportunity for redress if problems arise. The success of economies cannot be guaranteed, but we know that international trade benefits the lifting of global living standards. And we know that constructive economic engagement between countries helps to build relationships and helps to build understanding, both of common interests and where there are differences. And that is why the government that I lead will continue to work constructively with China. Albanese made the remarks while addressing the opening ceremony of the China International Import Expo in Shanghai on Sunday. For the first time in seven years, the Australian Prime Minister visits China. And ahead of Anthony Albanese's trip, Gao Junya spoke to scholars from China and Australia. And uh, they said cultural exchange and mutual understanding are pivotal in warming bilateral ties. At the latest edition of the China-Australia Transcultural Studies Symposium in Beijing, over 50 scholars from both countries gathered to discuss the future prospects of China-Australia ties. Chinese Association for Australian Studies President Chen Hong reflected on the once exemplary nature of the bilateral partnership, describing it as a model of East-West cooperation. The China-Australia relationship was once lauded as one of the most successful stories of China's relationship with Western countries, with textbook exemplars to testify how well we are able to successfully see common grounds and mutual benefits while retaining differences in traditions, cultures, and systems of governance. Chen blamed the policies of former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, suggesting they harmed mutual exchanges. During the Morrison administration in Australia adopted a lopsided uh, foreign policy, a series of uh, antagonistic policies towards China, were not based on Australia's own long-term national interests, but because of the differences that the, uh, the Morrison cohort recognizes as between China and Australia, along with its allies, the United States. So such practices severely disrupting globalization and the collective development. James Lawrenson from Australia's University of Technology, Sydney, said the China-Australia relationship is far more than geopolitics. He said multiple surveys have shown that the general public supports warmer ties. When you ask Australians, do you think the Australian government should form stronger and closer ties with China? Guess what? Two-thirds of Australians say yes. Renowned Australian sinologist Colin Macros emphasized the significance of deepening people-to-people exchanges for improving bilateral ties. People-to-people relations are very important in an overall bilateral relations. I think that is one of the ways where one can best uh, improve. Data has shown a resurgence in travel from China to Australia, reaching 46% of the levels seen in 2019. China was the top source of visitors to Australia in 2019, with over 1.4 million people making the trip. 
Over 150,000 Chinese students are studying in Australia, making them the largest group of international students. West Sydney University President Barney Glover called for more transcultural studies between the two countries. Australian-China transcultural studies are critical in expanding and deepening our knowledge and appreciation of two cultures and building connections. Two months ago, we received a student research group from BFSU and we're impressed by their enthusiasm, their research ability, their critical thinking, and immense interest in knowing Australia. And the last point I think is most important. China has established 41 Australian study centres, which cover various subjects such as diplomacy, culture, and education. It is clear that both countries are investing in understanding and appreciating each other's cultures, paving the way for stronger and more resilient bilateral ties. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Gao Junya. Coming up, the Israeli army has encircled Gaza City. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. 19 minutes past the hour. A heavy bombardment has continued across the Gaza Strip. Israel's military says it has encircled Gaza City and divided the besieged strip into two, as the region saw its third total communications outage since October the 7th. Israeli troops are expected to enter Gaza City within 48 hours. Hamas's Al-Qasim brigades say they've fought back against the Israeli attacks in multiple regions in Gaza. They say their forces have destroyed more than 20 Israeli vehicles, including tanks, over the past couple of days. Gaza's health ministry reports that more than 9,700 Palestinians are dead in the ongoing conflict. uh, Meantime, Israel says over 1,400 people on its side have been killed. Sam Mednick reports from Jerusalem. On Sunday, health officials said that airstrikes hit two refugee camps in Gaza, killing more than 50 people and injuring dozens. One of the refugee camps, the Magazi camp, was in central Gaza. This was a place that Israel had said was in a safe zone and where it had encouraged people to go to. An Associated Press reporter in a nearby hospital said that he saw the dead bodies of eight children, including an infant, from that strike. Israel didn't respond specifically to that strike, but it has said that Hamas uses camps as well as other infrastructure to run its operations and that it uses civilians as human shields. These airstrikes from Israel are part of its increasing offensive into northern Gaza, particularly around Gaza City, where Israel says that it is going to enter within the next 48 hours. On Sunday, Israel said that it found a huge cache of munitions, including explosives and missiles and grenades, and that on Sunday also So the communications in Gaza had cut out. This is according to the telecommunications network in Gaza. As offensive continues, the humanitarian crisis in Gaza continues to become more and more dire. People are stuck in the north. It's being very hard for aid assistance to get to them and it's becoming increasingly hard for them to get out. As all of this is going on, there is increasing frustration in the country towards Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. On Saturday, thousands of people protested in front of his residence in Jerusalem, calling for him to resign. Netanyahu has yet to take responsibility for the attack on October 7th, when Hamas militants entered southern Israel, killing more than 1,400 people and taking 240 people hostage into Gaza. Israelis that I've spoken to have said that they don't trust Netanyahu, they want him out as soon as possible, and they think he's only in it for his own political game. A recent poll by an Israeli television station, Channel 13, said that 76% of Israelis want him to resign. For Netanyahu's part, he says that he is doing everything to obliterate Hamas and exhausting all efforts to get the hostages back. In another sign on Sunday of growing uh, anger within Israel, a junior cabinet member, uh, Amichai Eliyahu, said on local radio, or suggested rather, that Israel should drop an atomic bomb on Gaza. He later walked back those remarks. However, he has since been suspended from cabinet meetings by Netanyahu. That was Sam Mednick reporting. Uh, Nur Harazin now has more regarding the recent strikes on Gaza. 
Well, it was a very intense night here on the people of the Gaza Strip. The Israeli warplanes uh, targeted several uh, refugee camps. Let's start with the Abu Hasira family that are residing inside the Ashati refugee camp. The Israeli warplanes targeted their home and they were housing actually their relatives. They were taking shelter. According to the Palestinian medical sources, 30 people were killed in that uh, strike. And of course, when you're talking about a refugee camp, it means such a densely populated area, uh, so many people residing there. And at the same time, you can clearly hear the Israeli warplanes hovering over the Gaza and drones. Uh, several attacks also happened here in southern Gaza, where basically the Israeli army, uh, the Israeli defense force have been asking people uh, to uh, move and to evacuate for safety. However, now uh, the people here in Gaza are just facing the fact that there is nowhere safe in Gaza. If you are in northern Gaza, in southern Gaza, in middle Gaza, there is attacks and there is people killed. That was Noor Harazin sharing her observations in Gaza. Lebanese authorities say an Israeli airstrike in the country's south has killed three children and their grandmother. Hezbollah says it responded by firing a barrage of rockets at a town in northern Israel. The Israeli army says the attack killed one person. Israel and Hezbollah have been exchanging fire since the conflict with Palestine started a month ago. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has rejected Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas's request for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. A report by Xinhua News Agency cites a Palestinian official who says that during their meeting, Blinken reiterated Israel's right to defend itself and continue its military campaign. The surprise meeting between Blinken and Abbas lasted about an hour in the West Bank on Sunday. The official said Blinken had promised to pressure Israel to avoid harming civilians and provide safe corridors corridors for humanitarian relief, but refused to discuss a ceasefire at this stage. The official said that Abbas and Blinken also agreed to adhere to the two-state solution and work on it after the end of the conflict in Gaza. The top U.S. diplomats on a Middle East tour and has arrived at his last stop in Turkey. Uh, Mihal Bardavid has more from Istanbul. Over the past few weeks, several pro-Palestinian protests have been taking place across Turkey. In this latest demonstration, a huge convoy of cars arrived in front of the Injilik Air Base in the southern city of Adana on Sunday, hours before U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's expected arrival in the country. The protests turned violent as demonstrators tried to storm the airbase that houses U.S. forces. Protesters threw rocks and plastic chairs at a barricade of police who used water cannons and tear gas to disperse the crowd. During his trip in the Middle East, Blinken has stated a ceasefire would allow Hamas to regroup. He has been urging Israel to agree to some pauses to allow humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. Meanwhile, Turkish officials have been harshly criticizing Israel and Ankara has recalled its ambassador to Israel for consultations. Though the fighting in Gaza will top the agenda during Blinken's visit, the U.S. Secretary of State is also expected to discuss other topics, including Sweden's NATO accession bid with Turkish officials. That was Mihal Bardavid on Antony Blinken's visit to Turkey. Coming up, Chinese and U.S. climate officials have held talks in California. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. At 26 minutes past the hour, officials from China and the United States are meeting in California. Uh, they're discussing topics that may emerge during the APEC leaders meeting and the COP28 summit later this month. The most pressing issue on the agenda is climate change and how the world's two largest economies will work together to tackle it. The United Nations has recognized a Chinese project to remove and process plastic waste in our oceans. It's recently granted the project the Champions of the Earth Award. The Blue Circle Initiative offers incentives to fishermen to help cut pollution in coastal waters. Wang Qiwei takes a look at how it works. A moment of joy and fulfillment as their efforts finally pay back. This team's program emerged from two and a half thousand nominations, standing out for its innovative treatment of marine plastic waste. Under the project, these plastic bottles have just started their journey of recycling. Backed by digital technology, the project encourages people to collect marine waste. 
that waste is converted into high-value environmentally friendly products, with revenues distributed among everyone involved. So far, over 10,700 tons of marine waste have been collected through the project, the largest of its kind in China. Marine plastic pollution is a pressing global issue. The UN says the amount of marine plastic waste will almost triple by 2040 if no action is taken. That means along every meter of coastline around the world, 50 kilograms of plastic waste will pile up. Through empowerment and encouragement, this project could provide some of the answers in preventing that happening. That was Wang Chiwei reporting. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Beijing dipping all the way down to zero overnight. Tomorrow, cloudy skies and a high of 10 degrees. Chongqing's down to 16, then cloudy and a high of 21. Last is at minus one this evening, then cloudy and 12 degrees. Hong Kong has a slight rainfall continuing through the day tomorrow, with a low of 24 and a high of 27 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the annual China International Import Expo is underway with thousands of exhibitors in Shanghai. The Israeli military has encircled Gaza City and divided the Gaza Strip between north and south. And climate officials from China and the U.S. have met in California ahead of the upcoming COP28 summit.、And、Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. My this kind of beautiful woman. Because the Mongol people are called Mongols. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Monday. Still to come, in business, a decline in economic openness around the world. In sports, we have an upset at the WTT champions Frankfurt. In culture and entertainment, Beijing Dance Academy's new performance season. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn dot com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtn radio. First of all, with today's headline news, here is Wang Zhang. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping says technological collaboration is an important part of cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative. He made the remarks in a congratulatory letter to the first Belt and Road Conference on Science and Technology Exchange. The event is being held in Chongqing on Monday and Tuesday, and the topics there being discussed include intergovernmental cooperation in science and technology, industrial innovation, future medicine, and big data. President Xi said last month's Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation marked a new phase featuring high-quality development. He also said China will push forward international exchanges on scientific innovation to benefit the people. Authorities on the Chinese mainland have introduced new entry-exit policies for Taiwan compatriots in order to deepen integrated development. The new measures will streamline the application process for travel passes for Taiwan residents to enter or leave the mainland. China released a circular in September on marking on making the eastern province of Fujian a demonstration zone for integrated development between the mainland and Taiwan. Central authorities say the move aims to advance the peaceful reunification of the motherland. 
China and the United States are scheduled to hold talks on nuclear arms control in Washington. Delegates from both countries will meet in Washington later on Monday. This will be the first such meeting between China and the U.S. since the Obama administration. It comes after the publication of a U.S. military report suggesting China is expanding its nuclear arsenal. Beijing has rejected the Pentagon report while reiterating its policy of only using nuclear weapons for self-defense and not for a first strike. China's northernmost province has issued a red alert for blizzards. The Heilongjiang Meteorological Agency says multiple cities in the province are expected to experience heavy snowfall, with accumulative precipitation ranging between 20 to 40 millimeters from Sunday evening to Monday evening. Education authorities in Harbin have, rena- have announced the suspension of classes in kindergartens, elementary and middle schools, and at off-campus training agencies in the six main urban districts of the city. China has a four-tier color-coded weather alert system, with red being the highest, followed by orange, yellow and blue. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has refuted claims that his country's conflict with Russia has reached a stalemate though he admits that the current situation is difficult. We did a lot. We had done a lot. We were in a difficult situation. They thought that they would checkmate us, but this didn't happen. Zelensky's remarks came after a top Ukrainian general said they had reached the level of technology putting them into a stalemate, adding that there will be most likely be no deep and beautiful breakthroughs. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has announced that the EU will recommend an additional 50 billion euros or 53 billion US dollars in aid for Ukraine until 2027. Von der Leyen commented alongside Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kyiv on Saturday, a week before she was due to present a report on the enlargement of the EU. She said the report would note Kyiv's progress on its path to EU membership. Von der Leyen arrived in Kyiv on Saturday morning and was met by Zelensky at the city's main train station. She wrote on Nax formerly Twitter that talks during his sixth visit would focus on the path for Ukraine to join the European Union. Zelensky welcomed the positive report, saying Ukraine's eventual membership in the EU would mark a turning point in Europe. The Russian Defense Ministry says the country's newest submarine has carried out a test launch of a nuclear-capable ballistic missile. The ministry says the launch from the White Sea on the European side of the Arctic Ocean coast aimed for a target on the eastern Kanchatka Peninsula. The ministry adds that the launch is the final test run of the state testing program for the nuclear-powered submarine Emperor Alexander III, which will soon join the Russian Navy. Police in Germany say they have arrested a man and rescued a child after an 18-hour hostage standoff at Hamburg Airport. The man broke into the premises of the airport with his daughter and fired two gunshots into the sky. Police believe the 35-year-old man was involved in a custody dispute. A survey by Japan's Kyoto News Agency says that the support rate for the Japanese cabinet has dropped to a record low of 28.3%. The approval rating for Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida's cabinet plunged from 32.3% last month, reaching a record low since Kishida took office in October 2021. Meanwhile, the disapproval rating rose to a record high of 56.7%, up more than four points from last month. More than 300 international scientists, including 27 Nobel laureates, are gathering in Shanghai to attend the World Laureates Forum. Organizers say this year's forum will focus on promoting high-level dialogue and advocating for scientific and technological innovation. The high-profile science conference will also feature three sub-forums on life science, intelligent science, and carbon. And thank you very much. That was Wang Zihong with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, a decline in economic openness around the world. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. 
Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. Thirty-eight minutes past the hour. Turning to business now, and here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. The Chinese mainland markets rallied today. There were some more supportive statements from the government. Among the latest of them came from the Ministry of State Security, saying that a stable financial market is a key part of national security. We saw the Shanghai Composite Index jumping as a result today. The Shenzhen component, though, really outperformed. It closed back above 10,000 points after a couple of weeks spent below that key psychological level. It was up more than two percent today. Chinese mutual. Funds also responded to government calls to invest in the stock markets. We saw last week uh, several uh, major mutual funds uh, pledging 200 million yuan each for、uh, what essentially amounts to buying their own products. But、uh, this activity、uh, gave a bit of a boost to brokerage stocks today, and several of those were among the biggest contributors to gains on the Shanghai Composite.、Uh, among those, we saw Citic Securities, China Securities, and Founder Securities.、Uh, there were also gains for、uh, Chinese tech. Healthcare and consumer stocks today was a pretty healthy day. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index increased 1.7 percent. In Japan, the Nikkei surged around 2.4 percent. Organizers have released the World Openness Index at the Sixth Hongqiao International Economic Forum in Shanghai. The index shows that the level of economic openness in 2022 was down 0.4 percent from 2021 and by over 5 percent compared to 2018. The three most open economies in 2022 were Singapore, Germany, and Hong Kong's Special Administrative Region. The report also says China achieved significant progress in expanding its opening up to the outside world, ranking. Among the top areas in the world, China and South Africa are marking a quarter century of diplomatic relations this year. Chinese President Xi Jinping visited the country ahead of the BRICS summit in August. That meeting brought opportunities for South African companies to do business with China, and the China International Import Expo in Shanghai should bring more. Many South African agricultural producers are at the expo, hoping to clinch lucrative deals. Julie Shire reports. The hunt for new markets for South African avocado producers paid off earlier this year. A deal struck on the sidelines of August BRICS summit finally gave the superfruit entry into the Chinese market. It'll have a huge impact on South Africa because the markets in Europe are saturated, especially the South American、uh, suppliers. They compete with us, and when they're in production, with all their terms of trade, we can't compete with them. But if we have opportunity to go to China, that peak period when our competitors are dominating in Europe, we'll have a market. We've got farms that we're running now. Some of them we are doing quite good.、Uh, we, our intention is to grow the、uh, avocado production peak. If other countries can open up for a market, we will be able to produce more and supply to them. The industry hopes such business can pave the way for further deals at the China International Import Expo. South African wine, rooibos tea, and beef already are popular across much of Asia, but can they now break their way into China? The idea now is to say, how can we ensure that the Chinese consumer also gets to enjoy the high-quality citrus out of South Africa, high-quality berries out of South Africa, high-quality nuts out of South Africa? If then that happens successfully, as we hope. There are, of course, positive gains in as far as the employment within South Africa, and positive gains are in terms of the export earnings. More than half of South Africa's agricultural produce is destined for overseas markets. Yet its biggest trade partner, China, accounts for a mere five percent. The challenges that we have faced in China was the fact that how we negotiate the market access, we have to go product by product. On getting those markets there, so we are trying to find that intergovernmental working group that actually limits that, so that we are not stuck as in the olden days where there would be six years just negotiating on one particular product or fruit. South Africa is one of China's biggest trade partners in Africa. Last year, their bilateral trade topped 56 billion dollars, accounting for just 20 percent of China's total trade with Africa. But experts believe there's still plenty of room for growth. 
South African agricultural producers have reaped substantial benefits from the China International Import Expo and they are eager to seize the opportunity to enhance their gains through the growing partnership between the two nations. That was Julie Shire reporting. Asia's manufacturing activity remained in the expansion zone in October, with the Purchasing Managers Index reaching 50.3. The figure was the highest across the world, but edged down by 0.5 from the previous month. Readings above 50 indicate expansion. Xu Hongcai is an official with the China Association of Policy Sciences. He says reform and cooperation are the internal driving forces for major developing countries in Asia to maintain rapid growth. The overall performance is relatively stable, though the performances vary from country to country. Therefore, the relative stability of Asia's manufacturing industry has become an important supporting force for the stability of the Asian and even the world economy. The manufacturing PMI in Europe stayed at 44.6, below 50 for the 15th consecutive month. The manufacturing sector in America also showed sluggish operation in October, with the PMI standing at 47.2. The Global Financial Development Report says global economic growth was slow to around 3.1% for this year. It expects Asia to contribute 60% of the growth. The added value of the China's vast manufacturing sector last year accounted for around 30% of total global manufacturing output. Multinational industrial companies have been a big part of the China economic development, and many are seeking to expand their footprint in the Chinese market. Michael Wang has more. U.S. industrial conglomerate Honeywell has been in China for decades. Uh, in 2003, we moved our Asian Pacific headquarters to Shanghai. And we already have our all four uh, business groups now operated and uh, provide service products in China market. Boeing forecasts that China is set to become the world's largest domestic aviation market. China's aviation industry boom supported Honeywell's aerospace business. And Honeywell Aerospace has supported China's aviation industry development. The company provides four key systems for China's domestically developed C919 large jetliner. One is actually, we actually source a lot of uh, uh, our components and so that put in our uh, products. Mm. That's one part. We collaborate with uh, both uh, SOEs as well as uh, private enterprise. Yeah. We source uh, by parts from China. That's yeah. one. And secondly, we do participate in the big uh, programs. Uh, aircraft programs in China. And third element is, of course, our big partner partnership with almost all the airlines in China. This year is the fifth time that German industrial and consumer heavyweight Henkel is attending the CIIE. We are headlining our booth this year to show uh, creating a sustainable future powered by Henkel Innovations. Hmm. So we have three big categories this year that we are promoting. Uh, first one is to showcase our solutions in the new energy vehicles. In new energy vehicles, it's about how you build a lighter car body, how we build a new kind of battery casing for longer battery life, as well as our products that are used for the building of uh, charging stations. So all of this together is a big contribution in the sustainability area as well as uh, new innovations in the new energy vehicles. Taking a long-term view of China's market potential, Henkel is enlarging its presence here. So last year we set up a new application center in south of China for our consumer electronics business so that we can be close to our customers, close for speed up our innovation cycles with them. Mm. So that's bearing fruit. We are in the middle of our construction for our innovation center in Shanghai. And thirdly, we are just having a, we just finished a groundbreaking in June 2023 for our project Kunpeng, which is going to be our most modern manufacturing facility anywhere in the world. As these companies lay down deeper roots in the Chinese market, their innovations, business models and business practices here are poised to echo beyond China's borders. That was Michael Wang reporting. Back right. to you, Shane. Thank you very much. That was Ju Lu with Business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. And coming up in sports, big upset at the World Table Tennis Championships in Frankfurt. 
Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. At uh, 48 minutes past the hour, turning to sports now, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with table tennis and Chinese Taipei's Lin Yunju stunned China's Ma Long to claim the men's title at WTT Champions in Frankfurt. China's Wang Yidi defeated her compatriot Wang Manyu to lift the women's trophy. Lin completed an astonishing victory over Ma, one of the sport's all-time greats, and said the win was unbelievable. First of all, I am very happy to be able to win this match. Actually, every time I play against Malong, I always have the mentality of challenging him because after all, he is the greatest player of all time. Right now, I still feel it's unbelievable. I never thought I could win this match in such a result. It was a thrilling men's singles final. Having lost five of her six previous encounters against Man Yu, Edith finally took her second ever win over her teammate. China's first student youth games opened at the Guangxi Sports Center on Sunday night. The event has gathered 18,000 young athletes. The games are the result of a merger of the National Youth Games and the National Student Games. This forms part of China's endeavor to improve the country's youth sports system. In the past, China held campus and professional youth sports competitions separately. Many students had to give up their studies in order to become professional athletes. This new initiative to host the Games is widely seen as a major step forward. The Games will take place from November 5th to the 15th, featuring 39 sports, 51 disciplines and 805 events. Max Verstappen took his 17th win of the 2023 season with a dominant display at the Sao Paulo Formula One Grand Prix. The three-time champion took a lights-to-flag victory. He has extended his newly minted record for race victories in a season to 17, with two races left. Verstappen easily beat McLaren's Lando Norris, who scored his sixth second-place finish of the year, but praised the latter's performance. You know, I'm not surprised. I know how good Lando is and uh, it's nice to see him there. He deserves that as well. McLaren deserves that and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have many more battles. Norris was pleased with his own performance. Uh, I'm very happy. Um, a lot of points, two, uh, two more podiums. Um, yeah, not enough to win. You know, Max is still just always that little bit, little bit too far ahead for us, but uh, I'm still really happy with the whole weekend. Aston Martin's Fernando Alonso turned in a masterclass to snatch third away from Sergio Perez in the final laps. Ferrari's Charles Leclerc spun off the track on the formation lap due to a car issue. It was the 52nd Grand Prix victory of Verstappen's career. He is now fourth most wins behind Sebastian Vettel, Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton. Rassi Erasmus will once again become South African rugby head coach. He will combine the role with his current position as director of rugby for the national team. The two-time Rugby World Cup winner will take on the role for the foreseeable future. South Africa went looking for its next head coach after Jacques Nienhaber's departure after the World Cup. Nienhaber is taking up a position with Irish province Leinster. Springbok assistant Felix Jones has also departed and joined England's national team. There were also concerns that Erasmus could leave, with him being linked to Ireland. However, those fears disappeared when Erasmus reprised the role he held when the Springboks won the 2019 World Cup. Tennis great Novak Djokovic claimed a record-extending 7th Paris Masters trophy after beating Grigor Dimitrov. Djokovic said he values every win at this stage of his career. While I'm still active, I still want to win more and I still want to play at the highest level. And uh, obviously Grand Slams and Masters events are the, the most valuable tournaments in our sport. So um, considering, as I said, the circumstances I had in the last seven days, it, you know, this win has more weight and more value and it's extra sweeter, so to say, uh, particularly, you know, at these stages of my career and uh, I don't know I don't even know in which stages of my career I am anymore but you know I I think that every win on the big tournament maybe values double nowadays it's the Serbs 40th Masters title and his 97th on the ATP tour he beat the unseeded Bulgarian Dimitrov 6-4 6-3 in the French capital 
The 36-year-old has picked up his sixth title of the year, including the Cincinnati Masters Trophy and three Grand Slams. Soritsu Wanarat shot an 8-under par 64 final round to win the China Open at Hidden Grace Golf Club. The Thai player claimed victory by six shots, thereby earning his second title on the Asian Tour. A fine four-round aggregate of 19-under par 269 saw him finish comfortably ahead of Tai Chi Ko. The Hong Kong local did sensationally chip in an eagle on the 18th for 65. Chinese youngster Chen Gushin finished third with a 73. And finally, host nation India easily defeated second-place South Africa in their Cricket World Cup match. India underscored their status as tournament favourites by making it 8 wins from 8 in this clash. South Africa was dismissed for just 83 runs, with India's Ravindra Jadeja taking 5 wickets for just 33 runs. This took place after Virat Kohli's 49th ODI century, which helped India reach their total of 326 for 5. Kohli is also now level with his compatriot and all-time great Sachin Tendulkar for the most ODI centuries in history. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, Beijing Dance Academy's new performance season. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment, and Tianyu joins us now. This, uh, thank you, Shane. This year's Beijing Dance Academy performance season will feature 90 performances from the country's top institutions. The performance season, which runs from November to January next year, covers different genres. They include Chinese classical dance, ethnic and folk dance, ballet, musicals, and modern dance. There will be more than 30 supporting activities in various theaters in Beijing. A group of flutists from India has arrived in Shanghai to share Indian traditions with China. Zhao Ho has more. Chaiti Arts Festival, we started in 2013 and we've been able to, to do this in Guangzhou, uh, Shenzhen, Beijing, a lot of other places, Wuhan. We have two lead artists. One is Rakesh Chaurasia. It is his first time in China. Rupa Kulkarni has traveled there. He performed for Chaiti Arts Festival in 2015. The ragas are the combination of notes composed by the maestros of Indian classical heritage. We have, have a boundaries that we cannot cross that note. We have to only play in the raga. It's like a song. The rest is totally improvisation. And uh, we can play from three minutes to three hours. We have some ragas for the season, like we have monsoon in India and then uh, uh, winter ragas, like spring, then spring. We have spring. So that two month or three month, you can play that raga anytime. They used to say in that olden time when they were running out of rain, the the singers or the musician used to play this raga and get some rain. That's why it became that seasonal raga. We also have a timing. We have early morning raga, late morning raga, afternoon, early evening, late evening, night ragas, and late night ragas also. Normally we begin with a slow tempo and gradually we uh, increase the tempo, medium tempo, then the fast tempo. Uh, maybe we can just show. Like this, then? Like long notes, long which notes. is yeah. where you can relax and do meditation. And then we start with little tempo without drums, anything. A raga is a collection of pitches, kind of like a scale or a mode in Western music. Each raga is defined not only by the pitches themselves, but also by the specific formula for using them. Indian classical music is typically performed by a small ensemble, including one percussion instrument, one drone instrument, one soloist on a melody instrument or vocals, and sometimes another melody instrument. In India and China, we go both together, you know, like very old civilizations. We can collaborate with the Chinese and we can create more understanding when it comes to art and culture, like Chinese can understand Indian culture and Indians can understand Chinese culture. That was Zhao Ho reporting. 
The China-U.S. co-produced film *Think Like a Dog* has hit big screens. The first screening took place at the 19th Chinese American Film Festival in Los Angeles. Nearly 200 families watched、uh, watched the film at the theater in Alhambra. The families also celebrated Happy Family Day on the sidelines of the festival. The film has also won the award for Best China-U.S. Co-Production Film. And finally, Chinese digital art pioneer Altilan has released a new project. Their aim is to spread the beauty of Chinese art in Hong Kong. The Autumn Collection features contributions from 12 artists with diverse artistic backgrounds. The collection includes abstract art, new media art pioneers, and cutting-edge artists. Three key themes are emerging from their Autumn creations: warmth, connection, and eternity. There is also a shared belief that art and technology have the power to connect people from different backgrounds. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu with culture and entertainment. We're at 58 minutes past the hour now. Beijing dipping all the way down to zero overnight. Tomorrow, cloudy skies and a high of 10. Chongqing's down to 16, then cloudy and 21. Lasts at minus one overnight. Tomorrow, some clouds and 12 degrees. Hong Kong has、uh, slight rainfall continuing through tomorrow, with a low of 24 and a high of 27. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 21 this evening. It'll be partly cloudy and 26 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 15 tonight, then cloudy and 27 Bangkok's down to 27 degrees, as followed by showers and 34 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: the annual China International Import Expo is underway with thousands of exhibitors in Shanghai. The Israeli military has encircled Gaza City and divided the Gaza Strip between north and south. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 